Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? I'm Gaz and with me as usual is my good friend Baz. How's it going Baz? Hello, it is I, Baz. I am here in body if not in spits. <laughs> <laughs> just about, just about. You've been, you've been not so well have you? So uh, fingers crossed you can make it through an hour of talking. Yeah, I've got an old fashioned thing. I've got an illness that isn't Covid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm Unlucky. Actual tonsillitis, can you believe it? Uh, it is, oh dear. Uh, yeah, so I've got a gla- I've got a glass of water, and um, and I've got you. So between the two of us, we'll be all right. Yeah, that's it. I, I can talk for an hour nonstop. I'm sure our listeners would love some of that action. Yeah, but I'll, I'll try and include you where I can. Thanks, thanks, man. So yeah, so talking of including you, you started your own little side project as well, which is a podcast about Runequest and specifically going through the Runequest starter set, which I believe Chaos and generously sent you. Correct. Yes, so I've got a little side project. It's called RuneQuest Year Zero. It's a podcast project where um, I asked KSEM in a fit of hubris if they would send me a copy of the starter set for their RuneQuest game for a bunch of different reasons. Reason number one, I've never really played RuneQuest. I've owned a few copies and I've never really had a chance to play it. And everybody was posting about their starter set, being very excited. So this week, everyone's excited about getting their one ring stuff for a Kickstarter. But there was definitely a period where starter sets were all over my Twitter feed. And um, and I thought, you know what? What I really need to do for the new year is I like having a little project. I thought back to um, some stuff that used to happen way back in the earlier days of RPG Net. There was a little thing that used to go around called 101 Days Of. Right. So there used to be a fella on there, Grubman, nice fella. He did 101 Days of Savage Worlds to try and cure, in his words, his gamer ADD. <laughs> so he said, I'm just going to do one thing, one game, and no other games for 101 days. And he would post about it every day. And it was a really good experiment. And he went through, read the rules, and did some characters, and had some fights, and wrote some scenarios, and got some games under their belt, and just did nothing but for 101 days. And, and, and the spoiler is at the end of that, he said he quite liked Savage Worlds actually, and carried on doing it forever. But it was quite nice to really focus. So I thought, I wonder if I could do that with something like RuneQuest, because I think if I just go and buy it, I'll open it, and at some point the skim will start. The skim always starts, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You start at the beginning, you read it word for word for word, and at some point between pages 1 and 100, you start flicking. Or you go to the back of the book and start flicking backwards. Yeah. So I thought, I have a little bit of discipline, and and if KSCM would send me a box, then I feel like I owe them something. And then they only went and sent me one, didn't they? <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Yeah, which is very kind of them. Thank you, guys. Uh, so I started up a little a little uh, DIY podcast. It's, it's ever so easy. It's, it's really just me. And it's more like a diary as I read through the stuff that I've got in the box, uh, give my thoughts and opinions on it as a go. And the idea is that that's going to be my main hobby focus for 101 days. It'll take me up to probably mid, mid-April. And... As I go through it, my plan initially was to start generating characters, uh, try a few little rules tests, have a few combat, stuff like that. Just basically mm-hmm. learn it as if I were brand new to it. Yeah. And also to not, to deliberately not get lost in the weeds, which I know that RuneQuest is prone to. And then eventually get a group together, play through some scenarios, play it, GM it, and just reflect on all my experiences. And if I can do that for the best part of three and a half months, then... You know, report back to the community on, on what my findings were. And um, we've started. I've started. It's going ever so well. People seem to be enjoying it. And I'm about halfway through the content in the start set. And um, yeah, um, it's a it's a really nice little project. And loads of people have been in touch. So that's been good too. Um, but what I wanted to do, and what we wanted to talk to tonight, is come back to the mother load, which is that you and I have all kinds of experiences with RuneQuest, and you more mm. than I. And yeah. without derailing from what I'm doing with my step-by-step review, I feel like there's an appetite to have more discussion about RuneQuest and Glorantha generally. So, um, yeah. Gaz, let me be my guide. <laughs> Your guide to Glorantha. Take me, take me off the, the beaten path I've set out for myself and get me lost in the weeds, why don't you? Well, let me just throw a lot of spoilers at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> RuneQuest is an interesting one. Uh, for some people, it's something they tried back in the day we're talking now uh, different from D&D 
Uh, so they pl- might have played some DD, you know, starting that and their family inquest as a change. Or there's definitely a cohort of folks who never really played Dungeons and Dragons, but Reinquest was like their first game, and they've never looked back almost. Uh, so I'm I'm pleased that Chaos have now come up with their own starter set. Uh, it's something I've advocated from them for a while. Like, how do you get into this? And and previous times, you know, someone like Sandy Peterson's held up the 600 page guide to Grantham book and waved it at me. It's like that's not a starter book, mate. You know, we need a better way in than that. So that's good. But uh, I think back in the day, early days, it, it was uh, like a starter game because I've, I've got the kind of floppy second edition still on my shelves just, uh, just across the way from me there. That's, I don't know, is it like 120 pages? Maybe it's a couple mm-hmm. of hundred. It's of that sort of order. It's softback. Uh, the only difference between first edition and the second edition is that the inside and back cover have got some errata in. Otherwise, it's exactly the same book, which is quite interesting. The character sheets have got like (laughs) lots of little dots on them to like join the lines, if you will. So that's right. It's it's clearly on a typewriter. That's right. It looks like it's been done on a typewriter, and it may well have been originally before they typeset it. That could have been the thing that happened. So yeah, I think one of the cool things about RuneQuest for me, when I was sort of like first discovering it, is the um, I guess the freedom it gives you compared to a Dungeons and Dragons game, it felt more like, let's think, like sort of like the Conan movies mm. with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that kind of stuff, or probably more like the Frank Rosetta paintings and those kind of things with like when it mentions a barbarian, I always thought of like some guy in fairy underpants with a big two handed axe. The two handed axes were a feature of the game. And you didn't have classes and things like that. You know, you just like you were just an adventurer. And it was all about um your gods and stuff like that, you know, the cult that you were in, get, informed your view of the world and that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's there's lots of bits in it which felt like, I guess, the old pulpy fantasy books that I'd grown up with, and being one of those kind of adventurers, rather than kind of uh, the D and D view, which was a little bit more. That seemed a bit more like playing a video game or something, almost mm-hmm. like Gauntlet, where you've got the the elf is good with a bow, and you've got the wizard and the barbarian and the the Valkyrie, <laughs> like with an armor. And undefined classes. RuneQuest seemed to be all about like piecemeal armor, and everyone can cast spells, and the gods walk the earth, and and bronze is the metal because it's more bronze age, and, and that's the bones of dead gods and all these other things. It just sort of like cool evocative things that was um, I think more grabby. It, it felt like more of the stuff I've been reading when I was younger uh, and was into, mm. uh, and it felt like a world I wanted to adventure in immediately. If you know what I mean, does that does that make sense to you? It, it totally does, and um, and I, I really remember it well because I started gaming in nineteen eighty, so RuneQuest two was was a choice. It was it was available, imported by Games Workshop, deep sort of purple edge box, with the classic painting on the front, with the floppy rulebook inside. You had that, I had that, and um, and your other cho- your other choices were D and D or Tunnels and Trolls. Large, yes. You could talk about, I suppose, the fantasy trip and. Some slightly more obscure things, chivalry and sorcery, perhaps. But really, it was those three choices. Those three choices, and I think that everyone who was around that time made a choice. Now, I can't think that there were too many people doing both. And I'm going to drop tunnels and trolls out of the conversation because it's it had its own little adherence, definitely. But it definitely ploughed its own furrow and did its own thing. But you were either D and D, or you were RuneQuest for your fantasy gaming. So like the Beatles and the Stones. <laughs> And what I remember about RuneQuest is RuneQuest just seemed eminently more... I was, I was trying to avoid using the word realistic, so I'll say sensible instead. Because even as a D&D fan, you really had to scratch your head about things like armor class, didn't you? Mm-hmm. So, hey, what? This makes you harder to hit? What? Yeah. It, it was all a little bit bonkers, wasn't it? There's been some real head-scratchers. Alignment, encumbrance, classes, levels, uh, class, as, class as race. All of those things that you know, I've learned to just live with, and, and clearly millions of people have learned to live with them. RuneQuest's selling point back then was you'd have to worry about all of that. This is much more natural. Again, trying really, really hard to not use the word realistic. <laughs> <laughs> but but the difficulty was, guys, that I had those books as well, and I remember seeing all the errata on the inside and reading it and so on. But when I got to the end of reading the RuneQuest book, I didn't really know what to do. Whereas when I got to the end of the D&D book, I think it came in a box. In fact, I know it came in a box that also had an adventure in it. And that made a big difference. Now, the RuneQuest box I had did have Apple Lane. Uh, but I, but that, 
held up next to keep on the borderlands I went keep on the borderlands I know a lot of people took the road towards Apple Lane didn't they mm. and, and it was that for me it was like what do I do with this I, I was really intrigued by RuneQuest but couldn't quite it didn't grab me in the same gameable way that it obviously did you and many others yeah it's the supplements that made RuneQuest I'm all sort of move on to other editions in a bit probably but certainly something like the third edition was just like here's a rule set to play your fantasy games in and I'd art from all mm. other players the Apple Lane version Things like Paris and the Big Rubble are the, you know, the held up as the gold standard of, of yeah. cool stuff. Pervis or Pavis, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, was like a complete city with all kinds of stuff going on, and even a routine for adventures and like kind of where you hung out, the pub you went to called Gimpies, and the Big Rubble's the old big city that's now destroyed, but it's basically a big dungeon. It's an excuse for having a place to explore, and there's a whole economy about going there and having to pay the the loonies or the overlords of the city like money taxes and stuff for going in and being allowed to hunt for treasure and stuff and that's where all the cool stuff came from I like the rule book like you say it didn't really give you a lot to go on uh, it mentioned elves and dwarves and they're different than classical Tolkien style elves and dwarves but it didn't really tell you how or why or what you then do if you've got one or you want to fight them uh, so it's those supplements and I think the really crucial ones were the cults books that came out so there's cults of Prax and cults of Terror and I still hold to this day that Cults of Prax is one of the best supplements ever written for a given value of best mm. uh, and the reason why I think that is that cults are really important in, in RuneQuest in Glorantha because they sort of like tell you which skills you can learn and which spells you can get and what your world view is and who are your friends and who are your allies and who are your enemies and that kind of thing so that, that it's a quite an important, it's almost like a class in, in a different game if you're playing D&D for example so it gave you information about all them but in an interesting way so it, it's based on a, an Isseries who's like the mer well an Isseries merchant but they're, they're like a merchant and trader class so a, or a school of thought and religion uh, and he does a bit of a tour around the area and he, he like he, there's like I think half a page or a page depending for each cult as he discusses what he did and what it looks like and what occurs and that gives you a much better like interesting insight into the game and what the cult's about through the, the eyes of someone travelling the world and then you get all the game information that goes with it as well and things you can and can't do and gifts and geezers and all the different religions are all kind of like really some of them are a bit wacky and do kinds of different things all together you know um, so Yelmelians for example worship the sun but the, the troll god has sort of uh, ambushed Yelmelian at one point and took his fire powers off him so although he's a sun god he doesn't he can't create fire for some reason but the, this darkness god the trolls can and this is this is where he kind of like I'm at risk of frothing about stuff as people who are into Blanca <laughs> Tantu, where they go like all oh, this lore that you just kind of want to pour out. But that's just kind of give you a window into like a cool thing that perhaps you don't get in D and D. If there's a sun god like Heliod or someone in in D and D, then it'll all be out the sun, and you might cast light and fire magic and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. doing something different with the gods that they actually interact with each other, and that what's happened to the gods affects the followers, and the gods walk the earth, and you're advertised of them to a certain degree and uh, giving that first person account of what's happening in the game world as a way of telling you about the game world, telling you about cults, telling you about uh, different factions and different how different magic works and a bit of a tour of the geography mm. that, that sort of stuff, the thing that, that really brought me into it and Cults of Terror is a similar sort of thing but from the baddie side so it's lots of the evil gods and evil inverted commas but that's again a, a good way of uh, bringing villains to life rather than just saying these guys are the baddies and we just assume they're evil mm. it kind of puts motivations behind it and what what they're trying to what the goals are in the world and what they're trying to achieve and that kind of thing it just adds a richness and tapestry which then if you're a gm or something you sat down you have a million ideas about all the different plots and adventures you want to send your characters on so i, I recall vividly reading white dwarf uh, around that time and that Cult of Prax was, I think, even at the time it was released, people could see what a classic it was going to be. It was an absolute must-have, wasn't it? it was like mm. ten out of ten in open box, I think, wherever it was. And um, and I, I recognised that, and I recognised also the Cults of Terror was a really big deal. I recognised that Troll Pack was something oh, yeah. that, really that I should that I should own, and and then there was all of the scenario stuff. Griffin, forgive me, it's either Mountain or Island. I always get it mixed up, but the Griffin one, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then uh, Ken Rolston, I know, did the Borderlands box. So you could see all of this stuff was coming out. 
It was really difficult to find where I lived, and it was expensive, which is something we'll return to with RuneQuest 3, I think. But that, I think, for no other reason, I just found it quite difficult to obtain. And I didn't find the other stuff difficult to obtain. You can get tons and trolls anywhere, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was very cheap. And D&D uh, &D was as ubiquitous then as it is now as, as well. So you could tell it was quality, but you know that didn't necessarily mean it was very accessible. And I don't think I've thought about this a lot recently. I was thinking, oh, it's a bit a bit unkind of a game system to insist that you buy the supplements to play it. But D and D always insisted on three hardback books, mm -hmm. and no one really balked at that, did they? Yeah. And the, and the player's handbook in D and D to this day doesn't really give you any setting whatsoever. So it yeah. wasn't doing anything unusual, was it, RuneQuest? In that way, it was no. it was just an alternative. That's right. Yeah. I think alternative was one of the selling points of it. Like I said, I think Cult of Price is maybe a 96-page or 128-page book, mm. which is the right length, I think. It's, there's loads of game concept packs in there. But uh, things like Troll Pack you mentioned was like, up until that point, I think for most games, like Trolls of the Baddies, mm -hmm. like Orcs Square and stuff like that, whereas Troll Pack gave you like, well, these are, this is a different race, an alien race, for, for want of a better phrase. But they've got their own thing going on. They're not... You know, they're not villains necessarily. They just worship darkness rather than being a lightbringer cult, for example. And they've got their own things going on. Uh, they probably view you as suspiciously as you view them. But there's a whole different just set of morals and, and what they're about in there, which is fair enough. You know, and, and and same for a lot of the different bits and pieces I'd in there. It seemed to be consciously not like D and D. So. Uh, like you don't have alignments, for example, that's just not a thing, uh, which was a very D and D thing, and you you were sort of like pushed into being good almost, or you know the, the edgy people could be neutral. Whereas I think RuneQuest was a bit more kind of like, well, everybody's got their own their own view of the world and doing their own thing, and you're just one of these people, uh, you yeah. know. So it's it's all a big melting pot, and no one's necessarily right or wrong. It's just people doing their thing. Can I ask you a question, then, mate? There's a question I I would have asked you if I'd known you in 1980. But I think the question still stands now. When I was playing D and D, D and D trained you in what to do, because it was you could go to a dungeon, you could go in it and kill stuff and take its gold, and and that's been you know that's been the core activity in D and D ever since, plus other stuff. When I first opened up RuneQuest, it looked like it had skipped all that and gone to the hard bit of D and D, which was like <laughs> urban centres, social encounters, diplomacy. All of that stuff, which which D and D wouldn't even let you go near for a few levels, because it was like starting a dungeon, then you can have a bit of wilderness, and only once you've got a hang of all of that do you want to try set, setting up with the big urban stuff and the faction play. But RuneQuest seemed to have that as a bit of a default. So, so the question was, without I didn't have access to all the adventures outside the Apple Lane, for example, which I didn't rate at all. But no, what rubbish. were you supposed What were you supposed to do in RuneQuest? If that's not a facile question, I'm still not sure what the answer is. Yeah, so we'll get hate mail for this, but yeah, Apple Lane's rubbish. I, I don't know why people hold it up as a an exemplar of a great scenario. It's probably like a fond one that people have nostalgia for, but yeah. it's, not, it's not good in and of itself. Paves and Big Rubble things kind of got a bit of a... Um, it's something I think uh, Dr. Mitch, our good friend, who's been on the show, as mentioned previously, like, don't do. Have your, have your players captured and forced to do something, and that's, that's right. basically what happens. You turn up and you get in a fight, and then you put in prison, and then you're told you have to do this stuff for the Lunar Governor. So there's a bit of that goes on. Uh, as I've mentioned, the big rubble's like a big dungeon, so it is a lot of kind of going and exploring that, but you generally get specific things you're told about to go and look into. Mm -hmm. And then the faction player sort of comes into it. And it's an odd one, because RuneQuest 2, I think, had all these cool... There is, like, there's loads of stuff I can froth about, as, you know, Grand Theft Auto's will, about the cool politics and factions and different bits and pieces, but there wasn't necessarily in RuneQuest 2 a lot of stuff to support that. So you didn't have like a bunch of different social interaction skills, for example. You had like a default percentage maybe mm. for a thing you could do. But that like tried to cover anything from diplomacy to intimidation to whatever else. Like all your skills were things like hiding cover and right. longbow and stuff. Like it was a bit weird if you like because I I was quite recently for Grogmeat going to run a run quest two old school adventure, but then I looked at the skill list and thought this is actually quite limiting. It's not as good as I remember it being. And I think it's because of the time when it was out, it was one of those things where the adventures were things we thought were cool and did, or that the occult told you to do, or 
because there's some ancient treasure somewhere or something to explore or some weird thing had turned up that you wanted to go and interact with or I think typically kind of on the Orlanthi side so you're kind of like the the people who are oppressed if you imagine it's a little bit like uh, the Romans have invaded Judea and all that kind of area so yeah. that the Lunars are a little bit like Romans and they crucify people and have their own strict rules and try to get me to do what they say and then the, the locals kind of have their own resistance and chafe under the yoke of them a little bit and that kind of stuff yeah. So that's how it always was in my head. Like, everybody's wearing sandals and it's very dusty all the time, and there's whitewashed buildings, and you've right. got people in the lobstered armor and stuff with the big red crests going around telling people what to do because the lunar sphere were red and stuff. So that's kind of my, my view of the world. But it's all about like, there's all these bits and pieces all of the map. If you look at a map of Prax, for example, and given random names with bits and pieces on them, they talk about like, you know, god learners and stuff. Doesn't really explain what they are in the initial books. But just mentions them, and there's there's tons of like um, hooks, I guess you'd call them now, or adventure seeds probably in the world. That was the thing that we went and did. Is there's things that sound cool to go and explore, have a look at, or poke and see what they do, and then that's how you generate your adventure. And RuneQuest Two certainly was very lethal. <laughs> to a degree, you're kind of like trying to progress within your cult status and become a rune lord or a rune priest and get this great status and all these other things, but it can quite often go through a lot of characters to get there so in a way I guess unlike D&D a campaign wasn't necessarily a thing we, we did finish some campaigns Okay. but more often than not we'd lose a left leg or a troll can get a lucky roll and stab you in the head and your first adventure would be dead and you yeah. have to start again so probably part of the adventure of Reinquest actually was making lots of characters and picking a different <laughs> picking a different cult from this time and doing something differently or right having a go at the same adventure but this time with a different set of characters seeing if you could if you could do it this time because the last lot got murdered by dot trolls and now you're trying again with a different set of characters who know nothing about the old group trying to do the same adventure wow oh, oh there's a lot of mysticism and like just just weird and wonderful things in the in the world of glanthor i think poking them or investigating them or trying to change them or dig up ancient treasures and stuff it's like proper grist for the mill of the old-fashioned as I said, those kind of like pulp fantasy books where you go and do weird and wonderful stuff. So that's this has come up on on my solo cast as well. I had a call in from a from a, someone who, who put it in such a brilliant way. Glorantha and RuneQuest not the same thing at this point, are they? In the early eighties. No. So RuneQuest is is a fantasy role playing game system, and Glorantha is a is a world, and we're so used to these days to having both of those in the same book and they're intertwined. But that that wasn't necessarily the case because Garantha was started off in a board game. RuneQuest didn't have a lot of Garantha in it, I don't think. I remember reading through something. I knew that it was a lozenge-shaped world and there was a sky dome and there were some runes and so on. But that two-page map that you alluded to that had Prax on one side and Sartar on the other, that was the best thing in it. But there was no point looking for further detail. It, it wasn't really there, was no, it? No, that's right. So the, the, the chap who called into my show called it a tense marriage between Garantha <laughs> and RuneQuest. And I thought it was such a lovely way to put it, because they were running along next to each other, uh, and only bumping into each other in the adventures, I suppose, or the cult books that you've explained. Yeah, so the the, the marriage came from the supplements. I think that was mm. the thing, and it's um, it's a little bit of a shame that the way it went that it did go with kind of the BRP system, that that sort of percentiles based thing, because at one point yeah. it was going to be the same system as Pendragon or very similar. Uh, and if people want to Google, you can probably still find. I think it was David Dunham who did a Pendragon Pass thing on the internet. It was just like a blog post and a, a couple of other bits and pieces where he'd converted some of the old RuneQuest stuff, you know, in, into into like a Pendragon-like system, uh, which I think would have suited it much better, to be honest. But it would have been a whole different look and feel to the game, and it wouldn't have been the same game it is yeah. now uh, yeah. on that basis. But yeah, because uh, when, when we kind of come to RuneQuest three, then it. It was kind of relaunched just as a fantasy system, wasn't it? Well, I got really confused at this point because RuneQuest 3 comes along. It's a really expensive game. I remember it being ridiculously expensive. Mm. It was like 40 quid for a book, which is nothing now, but in the mid 80s. <laughs> yeah, at the time. It was like, yeah. what? It was a really, really luxury purchase, like the equivalent of Invisible Sun for Monty Cook games. It was a really big deal. and um, But it, it seemed to it jettisoned Florantha? Because it had mm. Vikings and ninjas, and it was a map of Europe yeah. on the inside of the book. So it's like, okay, 
fine. Well, at least I can. I, can. <laughs> I didn't pick those books up until I found them secondhand many, many years later, and it was really weird looking back for it. It looked like a Warhammer book. Yeah. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given that you know uh, it was Avalon Hill, I think, but the yeah. Games Workshop printed it or or produced it or something, and it had loads of illustrations by John Blanche in it and Tony Ackland and things mm. like that. And it really looked because it had like a, a map of a kind of a pseudo Europe. It looked like the old world for Warhammer, but Warhammer was out around the same time. Yeah, and and that was another decision tree, wasn't it? It's like, are you going to go RQ three or are you going to go Warhammer? L l very similar, lots of similarities between Warhammer and Ringquest from the system up through the world as presented in RQ three. So again, I chose to take the the other road. Yeah. Did you do Warhammer? Did you do RQ three at all? We. We did just to get the update of the rules. It's when I start to go back to your earlier point about it being hard to get hold of. You're like, you're exactly right. I used to go to Mercer's Game Shop in Northgate in Blackburn and buy whatever thing there was. So I had, for example, things like Tunnels and Trolls and that little um, bind, like soft back thing, but had like punch holes in it. So you supposed yes. to put those little bits of string between metal on through to kind of like hold it together yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Incidentally, as a side note, I think. Um, Tunnels and Trolls for me was the solo game because there's quite a lot of solo games yes. and stuff like that. So I used it for that for my lonely fun when I was on playing my real game, which would be D and D or RuneQuest or whatever else. But yeah, we we got so much stuff for RuneQuest because my mate's brother had it and it was like hand me down basically. So he just like had all the stuff. Uh, how he'd get hold of it, other than that, I don't know. But uh, when RuneQuest three came out, we just updated to the new rules, but relived our, our glory days by going through the old material still because. Uh. As you say, the new book was it, it was a, like a real mishmash of art as well, wasn't it? There's all kinds of yeah. different styles and quality, and I, I don't know. It, it was a, a generic rule system, but written in a very odd way. Very odd. Yeah, very odd. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought I've done very well here when I found it in a... It wasn't even in a second-hand hobby shop. It was in like a craft store or something. And, you know, like when you find like a cardboard box with records in it and cassettes and so on. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm going through those... And each of those RQ3 books was 50p. Oh, nice. Uh, and I grabbed a lot. And uh, I tried to make head and tail of them. I couldn't. And then sold them for a, a great deal more than my investment, I should say. <laughs> so I hope someone's very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I offered someone my Stormbringer quite recently, 5th edition, but they, they said they couldn't afford it. I didn't even give them a price. They just said that I can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. You bring, you bring that up. I think now's a good time to mention that during all of this stuff, where RuneQuest was doing its thing and had, a, I think, a very loyal fan base. I think White Dwarf had had its own columns for RuneQuest, didn't it? And there mm -hmm. was definitely a sense where uh, RuneQuest was was a thing. I could feel there was a little bit of a wall around it. I wasn't too bothered about trying to jump over it, but I just skipped those articles and so on. But what I did do was I got into Elric and Stormbringer mm -hmm. and a bunch of the other stuff that was BRP-powered. KSEM were doing... Call of Cthulhu as well, which is another game where you look at the system where it's full of headbutting and kicking people and thinking, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that fits either. <laughs> but there was, um, but I really did enjoy uh, a lot of the other KSEM stuff, and that always made me look wistfully over towards RuneQuest again. But I think perhaps playing Stormbringer, there's only so many fantasy games you can have in your life, and, so, and Stormbringer was a bigger draw for me. <laughs> Yeah. I have not found the limit, but I'm told there is only something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I played a, a bunch of that as well. Because for, for RQ3, like, they did bring out a Glorantha box set at one point. Ah. Um, I think it's an orange kind of like box. And the cool bit about that was like rolling for where in the world you'd come from, and you got a different set of skills and abilities depending on where you're from. And yeah. that gives, again, more, more grist for the mill in terms of making more new characters because the characters died just as frequently as they always had done. Ah, right. I thought we're trying to avoid realistic. Shall we call it simulationist, I guess? Yeah. We've yeah, not really so. talked about the system fair. too much, but it, like, it's quite easy to die, lose a leg, or other things in this system, as opposed to being a bag of hit points that D&D &D can get to be at yeah. higher levels and that kind of thing. The problem still was, and this is why I mentioned advocating for a starter set, that even with that Glorantha box, it didn't give you a massive amount to go over. It wasn't the same as having... Cults of Prax, for example, or the Pegasus and Big Rubble set, and it was only a bit later on that those sort of things sort of like came out again as a combined edition from a, I think a third party publisher, if I remember rightly, and stuff. But mm. I don't know of many people that use RuneQuest of any edition as like their basic game. 
Right. The same that people might use GURPS or Savage Worlds or something like that. I know some people have used homebrew settings, but it is that kind of tense marriage between setting a system. And there was a, a point in the 90s when I think, you know, Glorantha went back to Chaosium, but Avalon Hill still had RuneQuest brand and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, RuneQuest went through several different hands, sets of hands with this D100 mechanic. There wasn't anything yeah. to do with the setting necessarily. But for uh, I think for most people, they kind of got together, RuneQuest and Glorantha. Yeah. It's, like, it's the same sort of thing. Probably need to mention at some point Hero Quest and Hero Boys and that, those those sort of things. Well, well, let's because I had that, I bought that in a, in a another failed attempt to get into Grantha. I bought the uh, the Hero Wars box set, white landscape format, full of small books inside. You know, really interesting and written by Robin Laws. Um, at the same time as he was doing King of Dragon Pass, which is a computer game that people still tell me I need to play, and. And I read through those, and I thought this is really interesting because it was it was front loaded with Glorantha stuff. It was straight into runes, and what that actually meant, right. and who your character yes. was. Yeah, agreed. And yeah. it was it was straight into that rather than being here's a fantasy game and let me tell you about how we apply it to this magical world. It was threaded all the way through it. Uh, character generation of write out whatever character you want in a hundred words, and then go and underline. The nouns and adjectives, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So Robin Laws is really stretching himself as a games designer at this point, and stretching the property too, mm-hmm. because it basically nothing like the BRP stuff from Not a sister point of view. Nothing all, like no. it. But I do remember reading it, still being baffled, but for a different reason. Um, <laughs> like a lot of people were by, you know, what does it mean if you got Sunset Leap written on your character sheet? Nobody ever really had an answer for that, I don't think. But I do remember that Robin Laws wrote down explicitly what he was trying to solve in RuneQuest and that was something about being above 100% in a skill in the old RuneQuest system was never particularly easy to to rationalise and you want to be able to go on hero quests and big mythic adventures and go into god time and that's quite tricky to do when you've got a percentile based system and a short sword in your hand mm-hmm. so he'd used mastery runes and d20 technology and seemed to have fixed it and, and made it much more about um, the kind of big adventures that were that were hinted at in all of the other Grantha publications that I'd read, but even that felt a bit new because I always thought that Grantha was a bit more swords and sandals and grubbing about in dusty cities. So the the fact that there's great big blue people with lightning for hair wandering around in the clouds <laughs> came as a bit of a revelation. And my understanding is that Hero Wars was a bit of a a bit of a a Marmite product. Maybe. Yeah. What's your short take on that, guys? Yes. Well, uh, as you alluded to there, it's like it's a radically different system and a different way of playing. So if if you really loved the old Dream Quest, then and then you wanted more of that, then you weren't going to like Hero Wars or Hero Quest because it's, right. it's not that. It definitely enabled uh, the more heroic stuff, hence the name hero in the title. Because as I've mentioned, if you play Dream Quest, you die a lot. Like all your characters yeah. get murdered or crippled uh, quite frequently. So, it it did, and it like in the old game, you wouldn't quite often get to the level where you would do things like go on hero quests and do the big cool stuff because a lot of it was the grubbing about in the dirt and trying to survive for a little while. That that, mm. that was kind of like a, a big part of the game. Uh, yeah. So if you if you wanted the classic RuneQuest experience and the simulationism and that kind of stuff, it was tough to do in the old game, and the new game isn't what you wanted. So it, it feels, although ostensibly Glorantha is like the big thing that ties it all together, uh, definitely I think I would say the Hero Wars, Hero Quest games were a different game. You know, it's it's, mm. it's got a shared setting or a shared lineage, but it's about doing different stuff. And it's quite interesting. I think, again, there's another split there, another tense marriage between people who really like Glorantha and want to get into the weeds of all the minutiae about it and the myths and they really define it all almost like anthropologists and historians and want to like have it all nailed down and know what every single bit of the map is and how it exists and why it's in the world and that kind of stuff and other people who kind of just want to do the big cool stuff and that's what the hero we'll call it hero quest to say we keep saying multiple words every time but the hero quest type stuff was about doing the big things that you read about and for me it's actually quite cool that's the stuff that like when I play the one ring for example I don't care about meeting Redagast or hearing what Gandalf's been doing. 
I want to be the Radagast dog Gandalf or doing things that are important that then inform the story. So it was good from that point of view that it, it then gives you the choice to do all the big cool stuff and make your own legends and change uh, actual myths because that's part of the the setting of worlds that you're supposed to go on these hero quests and you can change history and, and to, so now the myth means something completely different because you've done it and changed it in in this weird alternate plane kind of thing. So yeah, it's, um, it can be a bit marmite and that's because it's it's basically a different game, mm. I would say. And I, uh, it was also a game which seemed to shift it to the left. And by what I mean is, I'm thinking about the RQ2 map. Prax on the right, Sartar on the left. And everything <laughs> that I wanted to do was sand and sandals. And it shoved it into a land that was a bit more like Braveheart. That would get yeah. some hate mail, wouldn't it? But it's all Orlanthi barbarians. And I remember trying to grapple my way through a scenario that involved cow herding and kite flying. And I, I just could not get my, get a handle on where the adventure was. Yes, and that I think that's part of the problem. For me, it was an issue with some of the writing. It definitely went down a road of things like basket weaving and, and um, like I said, that kind of anthropologist thing about Iron Age Germanic tribes and how they would live and stuff, which I thought that's not the cool bit. The cool bit is, you know, going into the hero plane and fighting Stormbull or something I don't know that, that that's what I would want to do with it but there's that weird mix of people who want who want the minutiae still want to like rip up like well exactly what is life like in Tosh in this particular year like yeah. I don't really care what I want is a flavour and then I want to go and do cool stuff like fight the dream of a dragon or something That that's what I would personally want to do but there do seem some people who want to um, just get in the weeds with Glorantha I don't know it's, it's one of those settings that some people just absolutely obsessed with yeah. and want to know every single aspect of daily life you know right down to the the, the, the minutest detail mm. rather than doing what I would consider to be more the cool gaming stuff and Hero Quest enables you to do really, like, really big mighty uh, lore building things so why would you not be more interested in, in that kind of aspect and a war between you know the rebels in Satar and Tarsh and the Lunar Empire or something like a big fight with that. There's a, a group of lunar magicians called the Crater Makers because there's something down like comets and meteors and make massive craters in the ground. But like, cool. Can we have an adventure where we have to deal with those, please? That sounds amazing. And less to do with basket weaving, grain allocations, and kite flying. For, for me personally, and everybody's yeah. got their own particular preferences. No, I, I see that. I see that totally. And, and let's not get too much into the weeds on this stuff, but but I think it's also fair to say that at the time that the the ownership of RuneQuest, Glorantha, all of that stuff was muddy. There was all kinds of people in charge and people not in charge. KSM was doing its thing. D20s all happening in the background. Yeah. There's like a D20 boom going on. And I think it's probably fair to say that despite that Hero Wars reboot, I can't imagine many people were getting into RuneQuest at that point. I might be wrong. I don't think they were because there was there was that and there was a book of beasts called Anaxial's roster. I bought these things, but I don't <laughs> remember there ever being a huge jumping on point for RuneQuest at that point. I think that the, maybe the next time that happened was when Mongoose got hold of RuneQuest, which was a little bit beyond that, and it was still D twenty very much at that time too. Yeah, an interesting thing because I think Mongoose RuneQuest went through a couple of editions actually, and. A particularly interesting thing about that is that it went through a second age Glorantha, which is yes. you know chucked things back in time a bit because uh, the original source material told you stuff about I mentioned the God Learners and Juristelli and there's all these other things that stuff that's happened ages ago and you know we don't they're all gone now but that kind of brought that up to the fore and went well here's here's that time when it was all happening so let's play in that period which I think was quite interesting. Don't know how successful it was. I don't know how grabby it was. There was a lot of books. Everybody was into that. He was into Reinquest, probably, but like at least some of it anyway. But yeah, I don't know. And this is the thing with these sorts of games that, although it went through Mongus Reinquest and they had their edition and they moved on to someone else after that, and it was basically its core, a D100 system, and quite similar, but there's lots of little tweaks and people can be quite precious about it. It wasn't quite the edition wars that D&D had, mm. but. Like the, the the tiny differences sometimes in rules could could mean a lot to a lot of people, and I know some people were displeased with Mongoose Reinquest, for example, 
Right. Whereas others just took it in the stride and, and went with it. But like, I don't think it had like, as I said, I think it had that big like seismic, earth-shaking effect that yeah. uh, that that you know fourth edition had with D and D, for example. But there was definitely mumbling and grumbling. And when it moved on to the design mechanism, that people were happy because it was Los Whitaker and Pete Nash who'd written some stuff for it ages ago, and you know wrote for stuff for Stormbring and all the rest of them. So that, that felt like it was coming home almost. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of acrimony that they've been the split anyway, and stuff had moved away from Chaosium, which was considered to be the, you know, the father of it all. Mm. So yeah, a weird time. But I don't think it, if we're talking in terms of like politics, language, it, having cut through, like it, I don't think when Mongoose had it and that that sort of period, it was, it felt as iconic. I think the early days, like we've mentioned, you could be a and d guy or a RuneQuest guy, or maybe you know, maybe Tools and Trolls or some of the other games as well. But it felt like one of the one of the gang, one of the people that was up in the Premier League with all the other teams. Yeah. Uh, and by the Mongoose RuneQuest time, it, it felt like just um, it was another game, but it didn't seem to have the same punchiness that perhaps some of the games did. No, that seems fair, mate. I don't remember seeing it on offer at many cons, and we went to a lot of cons back then that were yeah. pretty much. Flavored around Chaosium offerings, weren't they? Yeah. Continuum and and, and the, the European conventions as well. And um, it was hard to get a game of RuneQuest, which yeah. seems a bit baffling now, doesn't it? There's plenty of Stormbringer on offer. Hawk Moon, Ring World, you could get, you could always get games <laughs> of those. But yeah. Luther Ark, right? <laughs> yes, you're right. And um, we've ended up, I mean, one of those sort of branches on this big RuneQuest family tree is led to Mithras, which I think is a fairly recent history people talk to me a lot about Mithras and recommend it wholeheartedly I've never jumped in I have the feeling there's quite a lot to it have you had any experience with, with that end of it? A bit, like I could say it's, it's another iteration of the same sort of rules, I think this is um, it's kind of a theme with Chaosium games isn't it really because like, you know, mm. Cthulhu didn't change much through most of its editions the 7th editions kind of got the biggest changes of any and they're not that big, relatively speaking yeah. compared to some of the games um, the RuneQuest wagon's pretty much the same, so I think um, the concept of the design mechanism is Lost and Pete, but by then it's something like 6th sixth, sixth edition RuneQuest. Yeah. But it's still things like using percentile dice, it's got strike ranks for determining who hits someone else first, it's got you know your spirit magic, be it called spirit magic or something else and that kind of thing. I guess by that point, although people do quite like it, and I say it, it felt like it's coming to its spiritual home because of the writers and their involvement from, with previous editions and stuff. And they, I think a lot of fans felt they got it in in scare quotes. It, it wasn't massively different than other ones, other editions for me. And I think by that point, because of the number of games we've got by the time design mechanisms got hold of Request again. Uh, my, for me personally, my interest of weighing because of all the different plethora of games we've got because yeah. As we say, back back when RuneQuest came out, there was a handful of games, and now by this point in time, there's hundreds. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, as much as I like RuneQuest, uh, it was either get yet another edition of that or explore something completely different, you know, altogether. And but this time we went into the 21st century, and gaming technology has moved on massively. I'm not talking about computer games and stuff, although that's not nothing. Um, but we're talking about narrative games coming into the fold indie games, storytelling stuff laser focused games uh, games where you can you know you have so many choices even just within the fantasy sphere do you remember when Exalted was a big thing oh yeah you know this, these were all fighting for table space weren't they mm-hmm. um, and I don't think Rune, RuneQuest never got a look in for you and me it's not a game that you and I have played together no really at all have we I think we've had a go with some Savage Worlds Adaptations, yeah, I run you through three or four games. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But then we get to the big renaissance, I guess, where everything properly comes back home. Chaosium, rise from the ashes. Stuff starts happening. RuneQuest and Glorantha get you know sort out their marriage issues <laughs> and get mentioned on the on the front cover <laughs> with each other. And it, it seems like there's a, a new lease of life. And um, and now I can't move for RuneQuest. Yeah, I thought. Well, I think if I'm if I'm right, I think Mithras is still going. I think design yes, still. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, they've just rebranded it because it can't be called RuneQuest anymore. But that, that he still has his devotees and it is still being played. And then there's other things as well. I think probably just before the Renaissance, things like Thirteenth Age and Glantha. I'm not sure oh, exactly the timing, but that's that like that's a thing. 
if we're talking about sort of do you do D and D or RuneQuest, that's kind of both because it's yeah. got a D and D like system and married into Glorantha as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that has been as popular because I guess people want one or the other in many ways. But it, it, it's a bit of a shame because um, that was one where it, it did do some of the more heroic stuff, I think, that it, is, or it has the potential to. I know a good friend of the show, Guy Milner, has done a few convention games of that and he tends to go about fourth or fifth level with his characters. So you've got uh, quite a bunch of dice to roll about for your damage and you, you're cutting down loads of mooks and stuff. And that that almost feels like higher level RuneQuest play where you're not in danger of losing an arm or something in every fight and you can cut down multiple opponents and you've got some more pay. That feels almost like um, a stepping stone to going towards Hero Quest or those kind of games or yeah. Quest Worlds, I think, is going to be the new version of it. That's in, in draft at the minute. But that that's interesting because I think a lot of the cool stuff around RuneQuest and stuff is the, the magic and... Um, myth and legend and a bit more sword and sorcery about it and I think you get that from the new editions of of RuneQuest and I think this is one of the the major things that we never had back in the day and why the words were so important on the page is the art used to be terrible Yeah, I think he was called Dobyinski or something like that one of the artists and there was was literally a campaign saying cut his hands off the the cousin trash which is it's amusing in a way it must have been terrible being that particular artist but he was terrible but the new editions have now got loads of cool art and the things you kind of like read about and had to imagine yourself like the Lunas back in the day for example I was imagining the Centurions from the Roman Legion mm. or something like that because details were pretty sparse and there was a unit called the Silver Peltast so I presume they got silver shields uh, but the, again like at the time I was playing there wasn't a massive amount of detail the cool thing about where we are with not just game tech but game publication values is that and the success of Chaosium again and their resurgence is they've managed to hire some cool artists and, and loads of luscious looking stuff and that's that's something I think that's really bringing the world to, to life and if it's going to drag people in that kind of like sexy looking stuff like might be one of the reasons that people will cast a second item request because otherwise it could seem quite dry I guess but the new starter set has got what I think looks like a Christ kid on the front so some like multi-mouthed beast with spidery yeah. legs and all the people around fighting it have got things like one of them's got a flaming arm or magic coming up their arm or something it looks cool and exciting and that's the kind of the bit that you want as a hook I think because RuneQuest has had that simulationist reputation amongst a lot of people and might feel a bit down and dirty so I've seen like a, a bright colourful you know, exciting exuberant cover and seeing magic happening and monsters and stuff is what the game should be about arguably or the, the exciting part of the game no, you're right. Thank you for reminding me as well. I'd forgotten about 13 page of Grand or just overlooked it, I should say. But you're absolutely right, because um, we we have copies of that, don't we? And I remember leafing through that and not reading all the words. It's a thick book, but the artwork was mind-blowing for a couple of different reasons, because it's, um, it's not Western. Not all of it, anyway. Right. In any sense at all, is it? It looks like, um, and I'll be doing someone a massive disservice. It's just my ignorance, forgive me. But it just looked like Indian myth, or uh, or Far East myth, or Cambodian stuff. Mm. Just had like blue-skinned people with like elaborate moustaches and dressed in clothes that you don't see in that kind of Western fantasy tradition, where high elves are tall and aloof and have braids in their hair, and dwarves are Scotsmen. It's, <laughs> it was nothing like that at all. And it was, and I thought, is this the same game that I kind of like flicked through back in 1980 and did Rurik the Wanderer? as my sample character and I thought it looked like he just stepped out of a Ray Harryhausen type right. special effect because this stuff was bonkers mm-hmm. and if they were always part of the same game then I was sold a dud back in the day because yeah. I never got that sense of it at all yeah. and if it was just hiding behind that little wall I wish I'd jumped over it a long time ago No, I, th- I think some of it was still hidden um, Like I, I went for years not knowing what Orlando looked like and, right. uh, you know, and then recently there's this multi-armed blue thing that's turned up with lightning for a hat and it's like oh okay then I just remember things about him having a war rattle and some other stuff that was didn't mm. seem particularly inspiring at the time but he was a wind god but yeah I think um, the myths and story stuff apart from Greg other people have added to it and now there's a whole world and depth of detail there that, that perhaps wasn't there right at the start and kind of mm. came about as I said one of my 
main aspects from my love affair with RuneQuest was the kind of the hooks, the adventure seeds, the the, yeah. the tantalising hints of things, but without it being fully explained and we could flesh that out ourselves. I think that's probably where I got a lot of the enjoyment from was the kind of uh, self discovery and how we kind of like how what we made up or the details we added or fleshed out became part of our myth, our, our glanthy, your glanthy may vary is one of the commonly used phrases. But yeah, having having more of that stuff to go on and seeing the like mix of culture influences to provide this like kind of rich tapestry of a world definitely makes it more exciting and interesting. And that brings us smack up to date then, doesn't it? So you can't you can't ignore the fact that the RuneQuest has been around since the very dawn of the hobby. And Glorant has been around for longer. And it's you know, it's kind of like the one that stuck around the whole time, is it? Arguably the third Imperium for Traveller. Mm. And I think they probably have similar issues in that if you do want to get into this game, how do you do that? How do you access such a deep, rich, complex setting? Never mind the system, which they've had multiple goes at over time, but you know, recently they've just tried to hone it back down to kind of how it was back in that RQ2 days. Yeah. So the system itself arguably is not that tricky. But it can only get more and more complex, can't it, for a jumping on point. It's got to be the devil's own work to try and find a way into RuneQuest these days. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's possible that 11 and 12-year-olds, like we were when we started, are idly thumbing through the friendly local game store or Amazon or however they access stuff and thinking, I'll try this? Or do you have to be people of our age who've got like you know a bit of nostalgia, a bit of knowledge, a bit of a bit of curiosity can you only be led there by the experiences you've already had or is it in any way a game you can jump into and start your hobby with it so there's a couple of challenges I think as I've mentioned the front cover of the starter set is grabby so if that's yeah. on a shelf in a game shop I could see people picking that up I can quite imagine 13 year old me seeing that on a shelf and going that looks cool I'll have some of that certainly for like the price point it's quite cheap it's about $25 I think and, that, and you get a bunch of stuff in there including dice so that that should definitely be a route for some people but the other thing that Kirsten have done recently is stuff like re-release the old RQT book and, and that did gangbusters you know loads of people bought it so I don't know how much of the people buying RuneQuest is still the, just the same old people who have always bought RuneQuest yeah. uh, plus their friends who their, their other mates have told them about it and got frothy and excited and load them into it, and how much brand new people are getting into it. That that'd be something that we we nice to discover, as I am doing, listening to uh, Request Year Zero, your, your new little podcast, uh, like what it actually is in the in the starter set, and how that is how accessible that is, and just to see how that does. But I think we've discussed on our podcast before that starter sets and quick starts and things like that are a good way in for people. So mm. it'll definitely be good to see how that does in terms of other people getting into it. I'd still recommend looking at things like Cults of Prax and seeing if it sounds cool because that's now available on print on demand and you can right. get it on PDF and stuff like that so that, that old issue we had about not being able to get a hold of stuff and only being a certain number that come across in a shipment from America once every three months that's gone now, you can you can get a hold of stuff relatively easy so if you wanted a low price point intro Cults of Prax as a, a flavour of the world even though it was written you know, 30, 40 years ago whenever it was and he's of its time, arguably, will give you a nice flavour of the sort of things that might happen or, or what it looks like. That's yeah. arguably better than buying something like the Guide to Glorantha, which is hundreds of pages of exacting detail that probably, I would suggest, doesn't have the same game-level ideas on every page. Right. So if I do get deeper into this, if I go through the starter set, I would imagine that the people who made the starter set are thinking... What we'd really like you to do, Baz, is go and buy the core book after that and then sure. be a RuneQuest player. So it's obviously a gateway to that. I don't know whether I'm going to do that or not, but could you spoil it for us, mate? How is RuneQuest looking from a core book and some supplements perspective at this point, if you know? Because I know I've, I've seen that there is a magic book has come out, an arms and equipment book. It's obviously got a release schedule. It's like a proper game up on the shelves. I'm only dabbling around with mm. the little box stuff that, you know, Arguably, one day I might buy in my local bookshop. But if you are a, if you're a full-time hobbyist and you want to get into RuneQuest, you don't want to muck about with starter sets. Is it a good place to get your feet wet? I mean, maybe it, it does still feel it's got some 
some aspects of old school gaming about it. And by that, I don't mean OSR or anything. I mean like the way it used to be when uh, a White Wolf game would come out, like Exalted, and there's lots of splat books. It, it kind of feels a little bit like it's going that way. Like you said, there's an, an arms and armor kind of book, and mm. it does feel that old school, like old Rollmaster back in the day, all the sort of things. It's got that kind of progression path I can see. I think they definitely want to support it and back it up. I think the things that are getting excited, or, or get me excited, and things I'm looking forward to is uh, Robin Laws is redoing the Purvis and Big Rubble books. Right. And um, they are, again, of the time, and they could be improved upon, and I have no doubt that Robin's going to improve upon them because. One of his stated goals is to make it more gameable and have more game ideas in there. So I think that, when that comes out, will be a, a great product. Uh, and also a, a good friend of the show, Jonathan Tweet, as well, he's doing a kind of uh, another supplement book that he was, I think his initial idea was going to be that for a lot of the bits and pieces around the world, he was going to give you like three ideas and you pick which was the best one. Okay. But from speaking to where uh, Jason Durrell and others, uh, I think the, what the more likely to now how they're going to write it is have like this is how it is and then have a sidebar saying if you don't want it to be that here's some other ideas it could be if you want to do something mm. slightly different with it which is you know fine I think certain of the audience want as I've mentioned exacting details to know exactly what's going on and other people want more fluidity so that covers both bases but I think having those writers who are you know we've both agree are excellent writers and have loads of great ideas and stuff like that I think they will be the thing that really sells it for me uh, yeah. and, and probably make it cool for other people if you're not an old RuneQuest fan or you're not a Glorantophile I don't know how accessible it is heading into a core book of RuneQuest just cold I, don't, right. I, I, just, I, I can't I don't think I can step away enough to, to give that evaluation but I don't think it's as grabby as some, some games are because mm. the smaller and have a tighter and more concise and laser focused I would I would suggest Yeah, it, it feels like an old school game so if you've got some time to devote but equally I wouldn't necessarily recommend people getting to D&D either I can't imagine buying three hardback books and then some more stuff to run adventures from like it's a lot of pages to read through and I haven't it is yeah. I'm, I'm too old now I, can't, I haven't got time for all that <laughs> if you're young and like devouring books then Maybe, maybe that's where you come from. But um, yeah, I think uh, like the art, production values, the support, you know that you've got, if you get into Request, it's not like they're going to kill the line in six months. There's a whole world ahead of you that's going to keep coming. So uh, it's certainly worth a look if you fancy it, but I don't know whether to say it will be your new D&D or your new insert game here. Okay, it's interesting. And of course, there's a whole world behind you as well. Yes. Got that, uh, Johnstown Compendium. With all the fan stuff on it, and as you as, as you mentioned, all that print on demand, you can go back your editions, and it's going to be reasonably backwards compatible, isn't it? Because just like Call of Duty, pretty much, yeah, you know, it's a yeah, it's got to rub off a few serial numbers and and off you go. Right, so that's really interesting. So it's a mystery, isn't it, RuneQuest? Mm. It really is. It's a right old enigma that's been sitting there the whole time the hobby's been around. It's been sitting there pulsing away, doing this <laughs> thing, luring people towards it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always fond of Eric and I, I don't mind going back. You know, whenever we can dip in, like like you mentioned, I mm. savaged it up for a few a few sessions just to get back into that world and play some of it again. Mm. Uh, and and using something like Savage Worlds give it a whole different flavour. So, yes, I am I am excited to see the new stuff, especially like we've we've mentioned of uh, the other writers that are going to be involved to give it some real punchiness and add some extra gameable content. Um, and it'll be good. To, what I'm looking forward to again is like conventions coming back. So hopefully this year, you know, the plague abates some more, and we get to, to more face-to-face convention things. And given the buzz around Quest, it'd be nice to see if there's more stuff out there. That I think that'll be a good sure. test as well. See, so like, how many games of it pop up at conventions, and you know, that's always a way that games sell more. If you can get it in front of people and, and show them a game, that's the way to get them to run out and buy the box set or the the core book. Yeah, those um. I have convention memories of RuneQuest, which aren't necessarily around RuneQuest, the tabletop role-playing game. Um, we, we've been to um, the precursor of the Kraken, Tentacles. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. But there's, uh, there's someone walking around like Bender out of Futurama. That was apparently part of the RuneQuest canon. I skipped, <laughs> I skipped past that. But I, yeah. I slightly more fondly remember going to a wargaming convention and seeing the River of Cradles set up as a skirmish game. Nice. With, um, with big cradles, with 
<laughs> with baby with baby dolls in them nice, floating yeah, down the river right, yeah, and the those little hoplites yeah. and stuff all swarming around and and that looked amazing so the visuals have always been there haven't they and the creativity's always been there and mm. you cannot shift that fan base they're like barnacles <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and I think my my plea would be to, to all you glantophiles out there and people who re- uh, really like Ringquest is work out how to couch it in an accessible fashion and that's like I said I, mm. I read a one man campaign again, uh, with Chaos in for a while to say bring out a starter set with you for the love of God not for me for all the other people because I want other people to be involved and enjoy the same game we do yeah. and I think the fans have got a little bit of work to do there as well if I may be so bold it's like it's there's so much you can talk about around it um, I think sometimes it puts people off because you like you can over froth you can yeah. talk about a million different things that are all cool well try and work on pitches that are going to make it punchy and succinct and what's just focused on, on a bit and go this is going to be a really cool adventure and I'm going to introduce you know whatever Lunas Trolls and Chaos and I'm going to have an aspect of each and I'm going to show you these things and you don't have to go into the deep depths of it all and explain it all to everybody but you can just give them a snippet of each of it and just get them hooked into the game and I think that would be really useful to see like you said we've got the Johnstown Compendium and all the stuff that there's like a workshop that fans can write their own things for like DMs Guild if we can get more of those kind of things where people can uh, moderate themselves as a community to make themselves accessible so you don't like overwhelm folk or put them off with your enthusiasm that'd be really helpful for Ringquest going forward I think yeah I think so I think you can say this about any game but for a game to succeed you need to have GMs mm-hmm. that's, that just seems to be sensible yeah I think um there's never been a better time to step up to be a player of RuneQuest, but I wonder if there's been better times to be a GM for RuneQuest. That seems to me the problem that's not quite yet solved. Um, I think if you came to it cold and wanted to gather some mates around and say, I've got this new game, would you like to play it with me? You're on a hiding to nothing. And maybe that's a silly thing to say, I don't know, but certainly back in the day, that's what you could say about any game. Yeah. I've picked up Space Master, I've picked up Star Frontiers, I've picked up Buck Rogers. Who wants to play? And one of you would be the person who would read it and then run it for everyone else. That's right. I think to get a really good game of, of RuneQuest right now, you kind of need to have a grognard in the box. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a big ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and probably for new people, I'd say, like, don't try and consume it all. And people will try and tell you about, like, a million things. Well, mm. take it in bite-sized chunks, you know, like, pick an aspect, pick a bit of the world, pick a a culture or a, a couple of cults that, that interest you and make it about them and I think there's the, there's plenty of meat to chew on there that'll get you interested and you can slowly expand into the other stuff as well Okay, alright mate, so let's see if you can take your own advice, I'll put you on the spot then what, just to sign off, what is the single coolest thing about Garantha or RuneQuest if you could have like one thing that you would really light a fire under someone and say oh yeah I want me some of that what what's your very favourite thing about Glorantha then? Maybe it could be the thing that got you involved first of all. Leafing through <laughs> in Blackburn as it's, a young lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is, it is the cults. It's having, I don't know, cults like a bit of a loaded term. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about domestic terrorists or anything. Uh, we're talking about the religion does everything for you. It's like a character class, I would say. So it's each one if you've not even if you've not played in the setting before if you just look at a particular god to follow it will give you a bunch of stuff about uh, your outlook on life what sort of magic you use maybe even what weapon you use you know all kinds of things like that it just gives you like a bit of guidance around it and there's like really easy classic ones to go through like uh, Stormbull is a chaos killing berserker so I can say those three words to you and you've already got an idea in your head about what they're like you know that kind of thing and all their their kit their bits and pieces like go for it so yeah um, the cool bit is that you pick a god and then uh, you use their runes and you enact the things your god wants and it gives you power and you know you've got an identity and you've got people backing you up and you've got someone who will train you and you've got you know something to aspire to to be a rune lord or a a priest or something in your cult and make a a name for yourself your character's got a purpose you're not just murder hobos you've got a whole kind of background and things to do and special unique powers that only your cult gets and all this kind of stuff which makes your hero you're playing uh, special and cool to play 
sold brilliant thanks mate well uh, listen i hope everyone's enjoyed that as much as i have i've learned a lot in the last hour a lot and there was decades to catch up on so it's been really good to have a little sort of potted history of the game and also your experiences with it over all that time gets it definitely feels like a big hole in my hobby life which i'm frantically trying to fill at yes. a pace that isn't yeah. going to be overwhelming <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to We should get some games in. I don't know whether we're part of your cast or not, but we should definitely have some Ringwest. And it would be interesting to see you gem it rather than me, for example, and me having a look at what what it looks like from your lens exactly. and me taking part in that without my preconceptions. So. Yeah, well, that is certainly the plan. I'm, gonna, I'm working through the start set. The next thing to do is the scenarios. I definitely want to get some people together. Of course, that's going to include you, mate, and we are going to play some games of Ringwest, and I'm going to try and run it. Because that's the way that God intended us to experience role-playing games, right? You buy it, yes. you run it. <laughs> and uh, this episode, like many others, is uh, thanks to the avid support of our loyal listeners and patrons. Thanks very much for throwing us uh, a few lead bulgs or copper clacks or silver lunars or indeed gold wheels because it all helps us pay for our hosting costs, uh, keeps us motivated, let us know that you still love us and we're not just shouting into the void. And maybe if you're a patron and you fancy bit of Inquest, uh, chuck a note Baz's way and, and you know give him your, give him a, a bit of interest there wave your hand and say maybe you'd like a game I can't make any guarantees there's hundreds of people already knocking down his door for a, for, for a game and uh, excited <laughs> about his, his side project request year zero uh, but patrons uh, do let us know how you feel share like and uh, thanks very much for your support yeah as always guys you know the smart part is where it's always going to be number one this solo project isn't isn't a split <laughs> you just get twice as much smart for your party as you used to have you lucky lucky bleeders <laughs> Guts, no need for the spirits of reprisal to call down on you yet until <laughs> until next time dear listeners see you on the flip side adios